It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's program, we talk to Auckland motor racing driver Wade Cunningham, who's making his Indianapolis 500 debut. Netball's novel line-out-like defensive move piques the interest of the Silver Ferns coach Wai Tomanu. The Warriors' chief executive Wayne Scurra explains the sudden departure of winger Kristen Inu. And Aaron Cruden discusses the first All Blacks gathering of the year after an Auckland training camp. There'll be two New Zealand drivers competing in what's known as the Super Bowl of American motorsport, the Indianapolis 500 on Monday morning. The 2008 winner Scott Dixon has competed in the event nine times previously and he'll be joined by Wade Cunningham in his first Indy 500 race. Cunningham hasn't competed in the Indy Racing Series this year but has managed to get a one-off drive with the AJ Foyt Racing Team which has built a car for him for the event. However, he'll be well back on the grid, starting in 26th spot in the 33-car field. Cunningham competed in four IndyCar races last year, the last being the season finale in Las Vegas in October, in which Cunningham was involved in a 15-car crash which killed the British driver Dan Wilton. Despite struggling to establish himself on the IndyCar scene, Cunningham hopes Monday's race will lead to a change in fortune. When we went out on qualifying on pole day, we definitely didn't uh, intend to miss first day qualifying. Um, I think we were seventh quickest in the morning before we went out to do our run, and uh, we were feeling pretty confident. We just made a few poor decisions uh, leading up to our qualifying run, and we tried to qualify with not enough downforce, and uh, we paid the price. We had to abort our run because the car was too difficult to drive, and then we were just playing catch-up for the rest of the day. We had to bolt a bunch of downforce back on, and then we got caught out with gearing because we... We were under or overgeared uh, for the extra downforce and just kind of drove ourselves into a tailspin. But we got in uh, the next day and we were the second quickest car on second day qualifying, so a little bit of redemption. So, what are your thoughts on, on where things are at now ahead of ahead of the race? You, you, are you happy with with what you've got, or how much more work are you able to do between now and race day? We've got um, one more day of testing. Tomorrow is known as Carb Day, as in Carburation Day. Um, We've got about 100 miles left of allocation on our engine, so we can run about 40 laps. Um, so we're definitely going to be focusing on full tanks, full tank running. We'll practice pit stops. So, yeah, still a lot of opportunity to work on the race car and try and try and improve our package for race day on Sunday. How's the season been going for you? Uh, this is actually the, the first event I've run this year. Um, hopefully not the last. You know, the plan is to try to try to stay with AJ Foot Racing and turn it into a, you know, um, a season-long deal. So they've brought you in just for this race? Yeah, this is um, came to an agreement and I came on board for the Indy 500 and their goal is to become a two-car team. So definitely uh, definitely hope to keep going. I'm sure a good result won't hurt. So what sort of category of racing have you been doing? I haven't, unfortunately. Um, racing is an extensive, extensive sport, so when you don't have the sponsorship, um, you know, it's tough to go racing. So you know, it's lucky that we have two weeks of practice at Indianapolis Motor Speedway before the Indy 500, so you can knock the rust off and get up to speed 
do you have to do a fair bit of lobbying to, to get yourself into this position of, of, of a drive? Because that, that, that must be tough if you're not getting regular racing. You know, it's definitely part of it. You, um, you have to go out and pound the pavement, find sponsorship, you know, to, to bring to the teams to, to run the cars. Unfortunately, you know, it is an expensive sport and someone has to pay for it. How much of an impact does that have? I mean, given you've got to have those other worries as opposed to someone like Scott Dixon, who's obviously got a contract sorted. You've only not only got to think about your driving, but actually simply carving out a career that's going to keep you there. It's funny, the driving is the easy part. That comes naturally, and, um, you know, I feel like I'm a reasonably talented driver, so, you know, you're obviously out there trying your best, but it's the other side that you have to put your effort into, unfortunately. Um, chasing sponsors and, and uh, you know, pursuing relationships, that's what I spend most of my time doing. So how difficult does that make it when it comes to driving? Does that mean you're not able to maybe concentrate on the the driving and, I suppose, honing your, your skills as much as you'd like? No, um, you know, the only disadvantage to doing what I'm doing is that uh, you're not in the car every week like the full-time guys. Um, you know, there's no there's no substitute for racing miles. So um, while I'm obviously training and staying staying focused and fit, these guys are, you know, doing 14 other, 15 other IndyCar races every year, um, which, you know, is definitely an advantage. Um, but it's just the reality I face, so you know, I soldier on it. Now, what's the the goal for for the Indy 500? The first goal is just to finish the race. It's you know nearly a thousand kilometer event. One driver. Um, it's going to be close to 40 degrees Celsius on race day. Um, it's going to be you know slippery conditions, hot. Driver fatigue probably might play a big part of it. So the first goal is just to finish. Um, you know, I'm pretty confident that we've got some good ingredients in the team: uh, engineering staff, mechanics. Um, I'm, you know, I'm happy with how our progress, what kind of progress we've made during the month in terms of the car setup. So, you know, if, if we do the basics right, I think we should be able to get a top ten result. So, was Las Vegas your last race? Was it? Yeah, that was uh, October last year. So that was the last event, IndyCar event I've done, and actually the last race I've done. Um, but we've had about eleven days in the car. I've had about eleven days in the car since then, which is a lot. <laughs> Normally, you know, race weekends are only two or three day race weekends, so um, definitely don't feel behind or you know um, rusty at all. Is there any hangover from Las Vegas though, given that the crash that happened there? No, definitely not. Um, you know, it's a very unfortunate event. It was tragic, but uh, it's a part of racing. And if you want to succeed in the sport, it's just um, a risk that you have to deal with. And um, unfortunately. You'd move on. Do you think back about it, or is it, as a racing driver, just something you don't do and, and simply try and put it out of your mind? Definitely not the kind of thing you want to be thinking about when you're out there and qualifying or racing. Um, you know, Dan was a very special character, so it's not like he will ever be forgotten. Um, but the accident in particular, or or the specifics of it, yeah, it's just don't really think about it. When you went back out there racing, you, you, you felt as though you were right back at, at home straight away, did you? you, as soon as you got behind the wheel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's what I've been doing my whole my whole life. I'm 27, and I've been behind the steering wheel since I was 10 years old, so I definitely feel more comfortable there than when I'm not. You obviously hope to, to get a further drives with the, the AJ Foyt team. Is, is there, have you got another plan if that doesn't pan out? Do you stay in the US? What, what do you look to do? No, definitely. Um, I, I plan on staying here, being based here. You know, if I just have to work all year to find the sponsorship to put together an Indianapolis 500 program, um, you know, that's what I'll do. This, this race means everything to me. And uh, it's been a, a lot of hard work to get here, but I don't plan on leaving now that I've 
starting to realise it. So how how special is this then? Because this is sort of the the biggie or one of the biggies, isn't it, for the um, in the IndyCar League? Oh, this is definitely it's the uh, this is the Super Bowl of racing. It's you know trademarked as the greatest spectacle in racing, and it really is. Um, Indianapolis is electric this time of year, and uh, I can't wait to go out there and have three hundred thousand fans cheering on race day. Do you feel as though you've made it? Does this when you get to drive in the Indy Five Hundred? Obviously, as a as a driver, this is something you've been looking forward to your whole life does, does this feel as though yes I've actually made it it's definitely a, a definitely um, a positive step um, but you know until you have you know a multi-year contract you, you never know when your next race, uh, race might be so you know I'll still be once this, once the flag falls on Sunday I'll be hard at work and trying to um, pursue more sponsorship and make sure that I can keep myself in the game I was talking to Auckland motor racing driver Wade Cunningham who'll be making his Indy 500 debut on Monday the Silver Ferns coach, Wai Tamanu, says she'll consider using the novel lifting defensive move employed by the Northern Mystics in their trans-Tasman netball win over the Melbourne Vixens. The technique borrows from rugby's line-out and was most successful for Silver Fern defender Anna Harrison. Tamanu says Harrison, knee Scarlet, is the ideal person for the tactic as she has a strong vertical leap, but it's a move that's difficult to perfect. Timing and it's, there are longer shots when you've got two defenders focusing on one shot you've got a shooter running free so you've got to pick the moment um, and be able to do it quickly. Is it a technique that you'd consider using for the Silver Ferns? Well certainly Anna executed it so well you'd have to um, you'd have to think about it. Why do you think we're not seeing much of it or so much of it before if it can be executed to that level? Well, Anna's one of the best people at it. It's not easy to, it, it's physically quite demanding and it's not easy to get that timing right. And they practice, the Mystics have practiced that really well. Um, and as I say, it's Anna's life and she's got a great leap, so it's easy to give her an extra boost. I suppose, too, if you, as you mentioned, if you've got two shooters concentrating on one player, using it regularly, it would be pretty easy to, in a sense, get around quite quickly. Um, yes, it can be. That's why I think that they executed it really well, and they um, they did a great job, particularly on the on the shorter shots, because the longer the shot, the more likely it is the other attack is going to be looking for a pass. Is it something you might expect the other teams to to try? I mean, there's obviously a talk that other teams have tried it in practice, etc., but maybe maybe not been able to perfect it as well. No, as I say, the timing and the execution is quite difficult, and Anna's quite special. She's got a great natural leap herself. Um, and that timing, I thought, was excellent. Oh. So I can well imagine that um, other defenders might not find that quite so easy to do. I thought she was well backed up by Moulds and by Cullen. So you don't anticipate it being a move that's adopted widely? I'm sure lots of people will try it. But as Bianca Chatfield said, other people have tried it and not found that that's very useful for them. Um, I was just delighted that it was so effective for the mistakes. Are, are there any quarters of netball that might see it as unsporting? I'm not sure why. There is no rule about goaltending in um, netball. There has never been. Um, and actually, if you've ever watched any men's netball, goaltending is quite um, a, a standard part of that game. Were you surprised when you saw it come out? Uh, no, not surprised. Um, I was aware that they had been practising it, and certainly it's something. The goaltending aspect, not how you get someone that high in the air, but the goaltending aspect... Netballers have talked about for a long time. What have you made of the comments that seem to be coming out of Australia regarding getting rid of one of the New Zealand teams? Well, I think it's early days. Um, I mean, the competition's about halfway through. And, you know, this weekend we've seen a much more tighter competition. I think the New Zealand teams have a way to go in terms of consistency. 
Um, but, you know, the, the, the lowest ranked team, the Tactics, did knock off the Swiss earlier in the season. So although we're a little inconsistent in our form, at times the New Zealand teams have really stood up um, against the Australian opposition. So that's heartening and that's um, improvement on the last few years. Would it necessarily be a bad thing if there was one less New Zealand team? And the, I suppose the, the talent pool would or, or may sort of increase competition for spots and it may in fact lead to a, a better standard? Um, possibly, but from purely from a, um, a New Zealand team coach perspective, having five teams out there and having that number of people competing and experiencing this level of competition is something that I'd be very reluctant to um, to give up easily. What have you made of those those comments? When you were you surprised that they've come about, or is it one of those things that seem to come around each each year? Well, they do seem to come around <laughs> each year. <laughs> um, I, look, I'm not surprised, especially when you know you've had a couple of teams with really um, bad losses during the year, but during the during the previous round. Um, but as I say, from a purely um, Silver Ferns coach perspective, having five teams and having sixty players competing in that competition is something that I would be. Um, really keen to persevere with. I mean, the New Zealand teams have obviously struggled, if we're talking just sort of generally in the competition. Do you think there has been, or is, do you see signs of improvement? Yes, overall. Over, if you go back to how we started, um, the margins are smaller. Um, the Mystics beat the Vixens in um, Australia, and that's something we don't we don't do often, and particularly the top team in the competition. Um, so those sorts of things, for me, are pointers that we're getting better. But it's when the New Zealand team assemble and and you can see the difference in their ability to step on court against an Australian style of netball. That, for a, a Silver Ferns coach, is invaluable. I was talking to Silver Ferns coach Wai Tomanu. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. Former Kiwi League winger Kristen Inu will be rushed into service at his new NRL club Canterbury after being given an immediate release from the Warriors. Canterbury is Inu's third NRL club and he's been welcomed by the Bulldogs coach Des Hasler who's lost five outside backs to season-ending injuries. Inu, who joined the Warriors at the end of the 2010 season, is set to play on Monday against the Sydney Roosters in what will be his 100th NRL game having quickly departed the Auckland club where he struggled to gain a regular starting berth. I spoke to Warriors Chief Executive Wayne Scurra about Inu's sudden departure and just where it leaves the club. I think with the uh, development of the younger guys that Brian's brought through this year and um, Dane uh, Nelson's Nelson's, uh, recruitment for next year, it's uh, obviously the the opportunities for Chris um, are going to be more minimal. And he... um, he had his agent looking at options with, uh, with our permission um, for next year, uh, which um, they'd secured a good three-year offer from the Canterbury Bulldogs. And uh, with the Bulldogs' injuries um, in the last couple of weeks, um, I think they've got five of their um, front-line backs out injured, uh, they came back with a request for an immediate release. And uh, we considered that. And, um, you know, Brian ultimately made the decision. He thought we could cope. And so uh, we've granted a release on that basis. At the end of the day, Chris um, wants to play first grade, and if he was going to get limited opportunities to play first grade here, um, he wanted to pursue other options. I've got to say, he's been uh, very good at the club in a lot of ways, he, and he's had his um, very good moments um, on the field as well. And uh, and off the field, he's always been um, impeccably behaved and great with the community, charity, and sponsors, and with the team. So. 
we um, you know we wanted to do the right thing by him and uh, from beginning offer uh, for three years security um, and you know a need to be released this year to ensure that was secure um, we we granted his wish has he not perhaps delivered as much as you would have hoped on the field oh at the end of the day he um, you know that's something that the coach ultimately would determine. Um, I've got to say he's had he's had his good moments, and you know that Tigers game last year in the finals where he scored in the last minute, and ultimately that helped us um, go on to a grand final performance. Uh, you could argue that that alone is uh, worth um, his year's fee, but you know he had he had some good times and some not so good times, and he'd be the first to admit that. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think he's been a disaster by any strength, uh, any stretch of the imagination. How does this affect the club salary cap wise? Do you have the opportunity to re- recruit someone else now? Oh, we've already always been making some plans about what we're doing, and you know we progress as money becomes available. So it just helps us progress um, in some other areas. A lot of our recruitment's internal. It's about you know bringing the best of the juniors through and upgrading some of our senior players that we want to keep at the club for as long as we can. So it helps us um, be in a better position to do that. Recruitment-wise, are you likely to, to look for anyone immediately? I mean, you mentioned there, obviously, you're, you're internally you're looking to promote people, but what, what about sort of in the immediate term? Do you look for a replacement or you cope with, with what you've got? Well, we'd already signed um, Dane Nielsen, who's played State of Origin, so we'd already got a, a very good quality midfielder for next year. So effectively, if you look at it like that, that's, um, that's already replaced um, Christen. And uh, we've got Thomas Luloy coming as well. And uh, Dean Bell's up in the UK at the moment, having a nosy around and uh, meeting some agents and some clubs and uh, and looking at some games. And, you know, he may or may not come back uh, with some uh, opportunities. But we're in a pretty good space and we're pretty happy with the balance of the squad uh, that we've already got for next year. How many spots on your roster do you have? Well, you can go as high as you want, um, but you know we're we're really aiming for a squad that's slightly smaller than uh, previous years, and a squad of between thirty to thirty-two players. Whereas in the past we've got up to uh, about thirty-five, so we're we're at around that thirty number at the moment. So there's a, a I mean, recruitment-wise, are you looking specific positions? No, as I said, we're, you know, we're pretty happy with the ba- balance of the squad we've got already. Uh, there's uh, some good young uh, forwards coming through and there's some young uh, backs who haven't played first grade yet. Um, you know, guys like Carlos Timavavi, who's um, you know, training with the full-time squad. and uh, So we've got plenty of opportunities uh, for young guys to come through and prove themselves as well. Hmm. Now, Chris, does he, he leaves immediately, effectively, does he? Uh, he left yesterday. Oh, OK. So he's he's got I think he's got a media conference with uh, Des Hasler this afternoon. Uh, he's probably trained with them already. Uh, he said his farewells around the club, um, which was terrific. So he certainly wasn't rushed out the door, and uh, you know he's a bit emotional. He lo- he's loved his time at the club, and I've got to say um, we've really enjoyed having him here. Um, you know, apart from what you see on the field, uh, he's been a terrific guy, and you know, he's had a lot of good moments on the field as well. And I see when he plays his first game, it'll be his 100th NRL match. Yeah. Any disappointment that that wasn't with the Warriors, or is he, it's all just, that's just simply business? 
Oh, no, it's always disappointing when someone doesn't see out their whole contract. And, um, you know, sometimes you've got to deal with it and you've got to do the right thing for the club and um, and also the person. And, uh, you know, I think it's been a good outcome. But, of course, there's a level of disappointment. We would have loved uh, Chris or any player that's come here for three years to stay here for three and then sign for another three. Um, but it just hasn't worked out that way. And, uh, you know, we move on. I was talking to Warriors Chief Executive Wayne Scarra. The All Blacks' first training camp of the year under new coach Steve Hansen wound up earlier this week. It consisted mostly of meetings aimed at introducing the squad to various patterns and structures Hansen and his new assistants Ian Foster and Ozzie McLean want to introduce. Among those attending was Chiefs' first five, Aaron Cruden, who's helped his Super Rugby team to the top of the competition. Joe Porter caught up with Cruden to discuss the camp and the Chiefs' winning form. Every week in this competition's hard and... Um you know, we had, like you said, a wee slip-up in, in Brisbane and we, when we're really not happy with how we performed there. Um, we thought our performance just wasn't good enough and you know, the boys have uh, been training hard this week and you know, there's been a, a lot of honest truths come out of the sessions that we've had. So the good thing about rugby is you, know, you don't have to wait long to rectify it. What was it in Queensland? Did you guys move away from the game plan you had had or did it just simply not work and you didn't adapt? What was the story there? Yeah, I can't really put my finger on it. I think you just just get those games sometimes, and you know, at half time we went in with a bit of a lead, and um, you know, we just didn't come out of the changing rooms in that second half. And momentum's a really strong thing, and the Reds were able to to really ramp it up in the first ten minutes of the second half and scored a couple of quick tries, and then everything just sort of seemed to click for them, and and we just uh, you know didn't react well enough, and you know, it ended up being a a pretty disappointing result for us. So. We know what we have to do this week to be better than better than we were in Brisbane, and that's exactly what we'll be planning to do. No Richard Kahui this weekend. How much of a loss is that? Oh, yeah, it's huge. I think um, you know, Cax is a quality player, world-class, and you know, he does a, a lot of great things, but I think it's the work that you know maybe isn't seen by most people that, that we're probably going to miss the most. Um, you know, he's he's quality defender, and when you get the ball in his hands, he's always hard to pull down, but... It's just his, his talk off the ball, his organisation, and just his leadership that I think we're going to miss. But uh, it's it's really unfortunate for for Richard, but it also offers a an opportunity for a guy like Jackson Willison to come in and really step up, which I'm sure he'll do, and he's excited about it. And that has been one of the chief strengths this year when the guys who were the starters, quote unquote, got injured at the start of the season, especially in the tight five. The guys who may not have expected to get so much game time really put their hands up. You're expecting the same from uh, whoever replaces Richard. Yeah, I really think so. I think um, you know we we know we've got really strong depth in the in the whole squad here at the Chiefs, and we know whoever wears the jersey in the weekend is going to do an outstanding job. And like you said, Jackson's been involved in in the Super Rugby scene here at the Chiefs for a number of years now, and you know, he's just itching at the bit to get out there and give it a good crack. Obviously, you and Brody and a couple of others were away with the All Blacks. Has, has that been a disruption at all? Yeah, I don't think it's been a disruption. I think um, you know, all the boys have been really supportive of the guys that have been away in All Blacks camp and uh, it's such a tight unit here that you know guys can just slip in and out you know depending on whether they've been away for a couple of days or if they've had injuries and certain other things like that so yeah I think it's been really good it's, it's we've been away for you know the boys had a bye week as well so we we're away for a week and didn't get to see each other over the bye week but coming back in you know everyone's smiling and laughing and happy to be in each other's company again, which is a great sign of of a team, I think. Yeah, it is always nice coming off a bye. I think you, you talk to any team in the competition and you know, to get a get a chance to have a week off and really refresh the body um, 
mentally and physically is always a positive sign. And, you know, that is quite funny. You see teams that come off the bye that often struggle the next week or they go really well. So we're definitely keen for the latter. And the All Black camp, how was that for you? Obviously you get to make a few more friends and meet a few people you hadn't met before, rub shoulders with some of the guys and also catch up with, with old friends. Was it a, a positive experience for you? Yeah, it was fantastic, mate. Really, you know, always honoured to be involved in, in that environment and always get really excited. So uh, it was a great camp and, and well worthwhile. And like you said, got to, to meet a few guys that I probably haven't haven't had a lot of a lot to do with in uh, recent recent years. And um, yeah, it was just fantastic to see everyone again that we haven't caught up with since probably the World Cup as well. So it was a great couple of days. And you've been in some pretty strong form, Aaron. Did you have a little cheeky chat to Dan and say, mate, I'm coming at you? No, nah, no, nah, not at all. I'm, I'm not that type of guy. I just uh, will just continue to put my head down, work hard, and try and push my claim that way. But you know, I still think Dan's the best ten in uh, in, in the world, and you know he's going to be hard to to get that ten jersey off. But you know, I guess it's uh, my job to just keep trying to play well and always test him and, and push him for the jersey. And a young guy like Bowden Barrett coming into the uh, environment, you would have experienced that yourself just uh, a couple of years ago. Did you have any little words of advice for him? Oh, not really words of advice. I think I know Bodie. We, we spent a bit of time together in the Hurricanes environment last year, and yeah, he's a great guy. And yeah, we were sort of rubbing shoulders with each other and throwing a few different ideas off each other. And yeah, it was great. It was great to mix and mingle with him. And I think he really, you know, adapted really well to the environment. That's Aaron Cruden talking to Joe Porter. And that brings us to the end of extra time for another week. If you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.